My guest today is Dr. Mustafa Chowdhury. He is the Chief Rates Strategist at Macro Hive. He's also known as the godfather of rate hedging. So no surprise, what we talk about today is his prediction for rates and how to adjust your portfolio accordingly. As always, right beneath this piece of content is a link where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I write an essay every single Sunday and I send it out for free. It's my key lessons and takeaways from conversations just like this and plenty others. And although I'm an investor and I manage a portfolio of early stage companies, I write more frequently about managing my mind while managing money, not necessarily managing money because this is the most important tool in the investor's toolkit and the one that will steer you in the right or wrong direction. So every Sunday I fire out an essay, it's free. Join 40,000 other investors and get that from me every Sunday morning. Here is Dr. Mustafa Chowdhury, enjoy. All right, here I am joined by Dr. Mustafa Chowdhury, the godfather of rates hedging. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for making the time to chat with me today. Thanks for having me, Jay. So here's where I thought we should start. A lot of my guests recently have been looking at the inverted yield curve and making the assumption that based off of what they're seeing, there's a trend of money flowing towards long-term safety and liquidity, and that we haven't even begun to see the worst of the recession, specifically in the United States, but generally speaking, globally. Would you agree with that analysis? And if so, you know, elaborate on it. And if not, how do you see things differently? Um, the shape of the, it's a great question to start with. Uh, I must say that the shape of the yield curve is uh, very unusual uh, in my opinion. Uh, it's common to think that the very inverted yield curve basically projects or for, predicts uh, a recession ahead of us. But we keep saying this for last one year, the yield curve has inverted. Uh, this is like one year anniversary of the inversion of the yield curve and uh, no recession yet, no sign of recession. Economy, the data uh, is very strong actually recently uh, in jobs, in housing, everywhere. So uh, the inverted yield curve, uh, the, uh, firstly the shape, in within the inversion, it is a little bit un unusual. I would call it a hockey stick shaped yield curve, straight down very fast for the next two years and kind of flat after that. It's as if nothing, nothing happens uh, for 2025 to forever. So uh, I think what's happening is that uh, the market, uh, there is uh, there is a lot of technical flows. Uh, so evidence number one, as I, as I mentioned, and the other one is that uh, when the uh, the banking crisis started, uh, or the the four banks got into trouble in early March, we had uh, overnight more than two hundred basis point move in uh, close to one hundred fifty ish basis point move in the two-year rate. So when market rallies, it really rallies a lot. When it sells off, it seems to sell off very slowly. It tells me that a lot of people 
uh, is has put on this carry trade almost like free money uh, because uh, the yield curve is saying that there will be imminent recession nothing happens and if you hang on to that trade then you make actually a lot of money from the positive carry from shorting uh, shorting a uh, interest rates a um, in the near term so uh, because uh, there is this very large amount of positions in there, the market seems to uh, keep mispredicting the Fed. So Fed hikes uh, 25 basis point uh, at a clip right now at this point, and the market then prices another 25 basis point in the yield curve, and then unwinds that a year later. So basically it inverts the curve. Every time Fed, uh, Fed hikes, the, there is a corresponding ease price in 2024, 2025. So the net net from 2020, after 2025, there is, seems to be no change. So it's, it, I don't think it predicts, uh, maybe it predicts somewhat of a recession, but it's not all about recessions. It's about how the market is betting, uh, betting this, uh, betting this curve uh, at this point. But eventually, a recession will happen. Uh, we will have to wait longer than um, most uh, most analysts uh, or economists have predicted, uh, and maybe a long time because uh, there is absolutely no sign, except for one place. I'll get to that later. Uh, there's not much sign of a recession. Oh, I'm so curious about the one place. The, okay. This one place is small banks. Yeah, uh, okay. So uh, what's going on is that we saw that started, uh, when we start to look at the uh, banking system after the Silicon Valley bank um, collapse, that um, that there is a big distinction between small banks and large banks in the US. So let me first say why I am not so negative about, uh, about the economy yet. Sure. We, it's just a timing question. Like it's not going to happen anytime soon, but there is a slow process grinding that will eventually get us to a, get us to a recession. Usually what happens is that by this time, with this monumental amount of rate hike, that has already happened, consumers should have weakened. Just, and the demand should decline and the lower demand would then eventually lead to less production and less hiring. And we eventually would, normally we would get a recession through the consumers because the American economy 75% is about consumption, about households and we, that channel of from Fed hike to recession is not happening because consumers are unusually strong after a 525 basis point of uh, Fed hike. Um, and I will talk a little bit about why consumers are strong. Then I will tell you why somewhere the, this other place, which is the, the, the small banks and their, their customers, which are small businesses, uh, are the weaklings in the whole system right now. Historically, not as much, but this time uh, it is. Consumers are strong because 
they are locked into mortgages. The households that have homes are locked into mortgages at an amazingly low rate in a high rate environment. So the if, if you're at home and you're locked into a two and a half mortgage, and now mortgages are six and a half, you are, uh, the, you are 4% in the money. And if you the average homes uh, in the US, like 400 plus you know, on, on your balance, you have a huge gain in your, um, in your value, in your uh, household asset value, just from the mortgage gain. And, uh, and then not only the gain from the mortgage, there is other things that you, that consumers have gotten that leaves them at a really good position. Uh, not the, so we don't see the, uh, we see retail, uh, if you look at the retail demand, it's retail sales still solid. We see housing like uh, still on, on not, if not on fire, very strong. Uh, in the last, especially this May data and US housing, everything seems to have turned around. And um, whether existing home sales, the new home sales, home sale prices, uh, every piece of that data pointing to housing seems like it has turned around. Um, you get apartment rents coming back up. It was going down and then coming back up. So, um, so that channel is not happening this time. It's a huge surprise for Fed because Fed Fed probably was hoping this was going to happen a long time ago, and we will start to see inflation. Uh, start to uh, go lower. Where there is weakness is uh, in the small banks. The small banks did a big mistake, which is when the Fed was running a zero interest rate scenario and pumping massive amount of QE into the system, they did one thing that they if you look at the history of small banks, small local banks in the US, they never did this. Usually small banks, what small banks do, their clients are local and local businesses. And so they get their deposits from locals and then they lend to local businesses, mostly for commercial uh, commercial properties, shops, uh, things like that. And usually uh, they don't get into real estate, uh, more, uh, especially mortgage, home mortgage business. This time was unusual. In 20, since the Fed uh, pumped uh, this huge amount of reserves in the system, small banks were flooded with reserves and they didn't know what to do. So they bought a lot of MBS, which uh, usually a forte for the large banks and not for small banks. And they also bought US treasuries, which if you look at the history of banking in the US, you will never find a time when maybe in the 70s or early 80s that banks would buy two-year treasuries, but those days were gone a long time ago. And now if a trillion dollar, American small banks sitting on more than a trillion dollar of MBS and, uh, and treasuries with duration in, in them. So uh, if I, and then uh, deposits are, um, are starting to move. Uh, I just checked the financial statements of 
about 145 small banks from the first quarter financials. And um, the non-interest deposits have declined on the median is about 10%. There are a lot of banks with 20% decline in non-interest deposits and significant compression of net interest margin for the small banks because, um, because they're sort of stuck with hard, long duration, long duration assets and their deposit assumptions about the how long the deposits are gonna be in the book are starting to turn out to be incorrect. So average bank uh, assumed that, um, that assumes that about the deposits have a five-year duration, which means sort of on average, uh, it, it will be the, the sensitivity of their uh, deposit book is going to be about uh, every 100 basis point change in interest rates will be uh, the, uh, the deposits will, uh, there will be very, basically means it, there will be very little deposit movement. And, and that assumption is turning out to be wrong. We will see in the macro data a little better, better but I'm actually looking at some of the uh, individual banks' financial statements and it's starting to move. Not to the point that it's a crisis, but I would it'll boggle my mind if they lend anything and to anybody at this point, being stuck with this uh, mortgages and treasuries. So, and their borrowers are usually small town, small town businesses with four or five employees, shops, restaurants. So I think that's where we will see the we will see the effect of Fed hike. But that's really a slow process because uh, as uh, this, this uh, it's going it's going to go to go through and we won't see that I think yet in the lending survey, Fed survey, et cetera, that will take some time. But I think we will start to see small banks uh, pretty much shut down lending to uh, small uh, small companies. And that's where job losses will start to happen. Okay. 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 Let me, let me pull on a couple of threads there. Um, so one thing you shared was that, you know, consumption has been unusually strong. And one of the reasons that's been the case is just because if your house is financed at 2% and rates are now 6%, you feel in the money, you feel a bit wealthier. Um, and that's going to encourage consumption versus austerity, right? If the value of your home depreciates, for example, uh, it may not be an asset that you intended to sell, but just because the value went down, you start practicing more austerity because you feel poorer than you did six months earlier. Um, so, you know, questions around that is like, what's going to curtail that unusually strong consumption? From there, you went into the small banks, you know, there's a handful of things occurring here, some consolidation. Uh, you touched on the average duration of a deposit being five years, and that's no longer proving the case, especially for these small banks. That's really interesting. And obviously, we've seen that spades. And, and you know, that in combination with the rates is going to lead to decreased lending. The small banks typically service small business. So if small businesses don't have access to capital. They're going to have to cut back on growth plans maybe operational costs, maybe that leads to 
um, job losses. And that is one of the catalysts that will eventually start to pull consumption down as well. Is that how did I do there in terms of? Yes, that's a flow versus uh, stock concepts. Homeowners are homeowners are not only feeling richer, they're also feeling less risky. Because right. remember, their, their life is less sensitive to interest rates than they, it was in the past because most of the interest rate risk that homeowners should have is actually held by either Fed or the banking system because of their gigantic portfolios. And so uh, it's they're wealthier and they're less risky uh, than usual for homeowners. And that's it's very unusual in a high, Fed hiking scenario. It's not just unusual at a normal time, but more unusual in a Fed hiking scenario. So, but that's the stock concept. And the flow concept is when you lose your job, even if you have a, an, uh, um, a great mortgage, you still lost your job. So that's gonna come through the small business channel. But the thing is that because it's coming through the flow rather than flow and the stock together, I don't know whether I articulated it right. It's going to be a little slower. The recession is going to be slower to come. Okay. Okay. I'm with you. And, you know, actually to back up to where we started this conversation, you're like, the recession is coming, just not as quickly or as immediate as most economists are predicting. There's kind of two things going on there. I believe number one is that economists love to predict recessions. It's just, it's a great business to be predicting a crash. People bite on the headline every single time. It's exciting. It's seductive. You know, the sky's about to fall and they don't have to be right. See, when you predict a crash and you're wrong, everybody forgets the next day. When you predict a crash and you're right, they make a movie about you, right? It's called The Big Short, right? right? Exactly. And so it's a good business to be in because there's this insane forgiveness for when you're wrong, but when you're correct, you're heralded as a guru very inappropriately, in my opinion. The problem with predictions, even bigger than that, is that consumers believe them, right? And then if I am told by this economist that I trust that there will be a crash in June, and it drives me crazy when economists and analysts make predictions and tie them to specific dates, because then retail investors listen to those predictions, and if that event doesn't occur on that date, then they just believe it's not gonna happen, not that it might happen six months later. And so they change their plans and their portfolio accordingly. When in reality, it's like you can spot the big trends, but try to put that on the calendar. That's a whole different game. And I would say an impossible one. But what do you think about that? I think it's uh, easy to, uh, the, uh, there are examples that, uh, of consumers being very smart. One of them is the Michigan, uh, if you look at the Michigan data uh, that just came out, which uh, shows the consumer's uh, forecast of inflation um, is um, one year ahead inflation is 4.2%. So the U.S. consumers are um, are predicting deeply ingrained in their heart a very high inflation rate, and they're not they don't believe the Fed will succeed in bringing inflation down to their target. Although the uh, chips market is saying somewhere around two and a half percent, uh, two and a quarter, two and a half percent uh, break-even in, uh, inflation, the consumer saying four percent. So there is a, there's actually a historically large disconnect between the two. Uh, and uh, basically consumers are not believing that the Fed's gonna, Fed's gonna succeed this time. So that's the, that's the thing, that it's the, uh, inflation is now 
fairly ingrained in consumers' mind. It is. Okay. Now, what do you make of, um, where do you land, I suppose, in terms of us experience in the next three to five years, an increase in inflation or an increase in deflation? Um, you know, I recently had Jeff Snyder on the podcast a couple yeah. of days ago. And you know, he outlines a pretty compelling case for why all the inflationists are wrong, why we're going to see a decrease in the velocity of money leading to or stemming from uh, you know, worse job numbers, leading to decreased GDP, all this. Um, where do you land on this inflation versus deflation narrative? Uh, long term is very, uh, very far. So I, I will talk about more in the next uh, near term. And then okay. we'll maybe also pontificate a little bit about the long term. Sure. Forecasting long term um, inflation is harder than people think. But I, um, I think I don't see. Hold on, sorry. Did you say long term it will be hotter than people think? Is that what I heard? It's going to be harder. It's going to be very hard to tell how the long. Hard to there tell. are a bunch okay. of things going on. Very hard, hard to tell hard. because uh, there are um, there are a bunch of long term trends going on. Big one is the population and the demographics. Uh, Deglobalization is a gigantic one in terms of. Inflation. So if you, and then the economy is cyclical stuff. You cyclical, um, you, you have the cyclical variations, and then you have this whole massive demographic changes ahead of us. Uh, uh, deglobalization, all of that have move, is going to move inflation in various direction. But near term, in the next year or so, it's really difficult to see. Uh, significant uh, inflation uh, in my mind. And um, even if, I, as I mentioned, the, the weak link, which is the small bank to small firm, um, keeps sort of going on. And that's mainly because some items of consumptions, are, there is no sign of uh, declining. And that's the biggest one is uh, shelter. There is there is no sign of any decline. Um, we had some decline in the um, rental rate, as we saw in the Zillow.com. It's coming back up. Uh, vacancy rate, apartment vacancy rate is low, lowest in 40 years. And if you calculate the buy versus rent calculation, there is no one in their right mind would conclude that they can buy, they would need to buy a house. So it's all everyone's newcomers, new households, whoever needs to have a home, our obvious decision is renting. So um, the biggest item in American uh, households consumption, uh, there is no sign of any decline. Uh, I think it's actually going to come back, come back up. If you look at the some of the jobs data, it's coming, it's strong, and there's any weaknesses have been reversing as well. So uh, in the in a cyclical sense, uh, there's odds of um, odds of the, the inflation would remain robust. Odds of hitting anywhere close to Fed's target is um, is almost negligible. Uh, in the long run, it's going to be between uh, the, uh, the effect on demographics, immigration, 
uh, and then of course uh, the deglobalization. Deglobalization is huge uh, in terms of inflation, and that's a whole different topic. And how what will happen in terms of deglobalization? It's hard to predict for me, but it deglobalization could be massively inflationary. Uh, just because of the labor cost redistribution uh, that will happen. And so it's, but, and so you don't necessarily need to be able to predict how deglobalization will shake out because that's a really tough game as well. Like the chessboard is being reshuffled. We don't know where the pieces are going to land yet. Exactly. What do, yeah. What we do know is that the predictability of supply chains is completely up in the air and everything's on the table and where we will get the stuff we need is a question mark at this point, including labor, as you just mentioned. The labor is a big one. Like uh, how, what's going to be your labor cost five years down the line? If you move your out production from point A to point B, it's hard yeah. to predict right now. Yes. Okay. Which is, you would make the assumption an inflationary uh, catalyst for sure. It's most likely and more inflationary than disinflationary. Yeah, more inflationary than disinflationary. Okay, how 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 are you structuring? If you want to talk about your portfolio, by all means, as much as you would like to share, or uh, where are you seeing money go? What I want to get a sense of now is, you know, based off of how you're viewing the economy, um, where is the smart money going? Um, what's the defensive play? Is there an offensive play, and what might that be? The offensive play has been, uh, I think, that heavily in uh, the free money that's in betting, uh, betting against the forwards that's that's going on. That's been uh, that's very risky also because we saw big losses right after the Silicon Valley related rally. Uh, but if you don't have one of those and you can pick up carry for a few months, it's uh, given a reasonable leverage level, you can have significant amount of money to be made, especially if you have option plays around one year forward, one year rate, uh, for example, sh um, buy um, pair options or short, uh, mostly buy pair options or straddles on one year straddles on one year rate, some things like that are offensive plays, but very profitable and consistently been profitable for a while. Um, in uh, a defensive play, and I think a smart one is, especially in the context of my view and my colleague's view at MicroHive, is um, that Fed's gonna come back, Fed's gonna have to hike more and hike a lot more. And so uh, have a significant amount of money market and money market funds and keeping uh, keeping uh, your dry powder is probably a very good defensive trade. It's We're not there yet that something is going away from us and we are gonna catch, uh, miss the bus uh, like, like uh, previously uh, 2000 and um, early 2019, some, uh, I think, um, yeah. Uh, the we had um, when Fed still kind of easy money policy, it's hike a few and then they will stop and the boat's going to leave. So you have to buy something risky asset. We are not in an environment right now. There is time. Uh, but I, I am uh, heavily into money market 
uh, into money market funds and proposing that keep dry powder. Uh, there will be great opportunities in the future. I also uh, am uh, suggesting tips uh, to our clients, uh, especially intermediate maturity tips, because I don't think Fed will be uh, able to bring inflation back to 2%. They will have to, even if they will not announce it publicly, uh, formally, but they will um, they, they, they will either not be able to get to 2% or abandon the 2% target. So generally uh, positive on uh, intermediate maturity tips, uh, one, and a, uh, one and a half percent real rate, plus you get 3% inflation. That seems like a very good, uh, decent long-term play. Uh, I'm still a little bit positive on the dollar uh, because I don't think Fed's done yet. Um, and bet on the U.S. consumers. U.S. consumers are in much better shape than U.S. firms. So consumer-related assets are good, like MBS, uh, great yield, uh, government guaranteed, uh, and, um, the, and in general, consumers, uh, anything that's... Uh, that uh, exposes you to American consumers is probably a good trade. So those those are the four things that I'm, I'm focused on. There is an aggressive part that uh, I've been telling clients also this um, more um, play a little bit on, against the yield curve in the front end, but that's for risky players. Okay, I like the statement. U.S. consumers are in better shape than U.S. firms. I mean, I get it, I guess. Strictly looking at the balance sheets, uh, you know, in general. Look, um, I want to thank you for coming on the show, Mustafa. It's been great chatting with you. Thanks for sure. making time to get in front of my audience. I appreciate it. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.